Welcome to Sage Up, a podcast about anything and everything that involves all of us on some level to better ourselves, our community, our society, humanity as a whole, by making the most impeccable choices as decent human beings. Higher vibrations and scientific data work together to make this podcast happen. I'm your host, Elle. We have a lot to talk about, so get comfy and enjoy this journey with me. already talked about how actions speak louder than words and how words can lead to certain actions. Uh, Voting, of course, was mentioned in that and how important that is. That is a big step. Um, I've talked about democracy, media literacy. All of these things can help us improve our decency, Um, you know, being these decent human beings that I know we are and that we can be. But we have these issues that we're facing, and we can tell that, especially in the past few years, and even with the pandemic, they've been unmasked a little bit more, such as social issues, environmental issues, political issues, down to the specifics, such as homelessness, mental health, crime, racism. How do we fix these? Again, it is deeper than those issues. It's a systemic issue that is underlying all of this. Even talking about misinformation and disinformation that's being spread out there. uh, Of course, I talked about media literacy and how that can help us greatly, but it's going to start deeper than that. Then, of course, we have these religious beliefs that are conflicting with politics, such as with abortion, LBGTQ, and then of course now COVID and the vaccine and the science behind it all. We shouldn't be at this point. We shouldn't be um, struggling this bad. Now it's good to have conflict. It's good to have disagreement, but not at the point that we're at right now and that we're seeing right now. There's layers and decades of unraveling when it comes to all of these issues. So education isn't the fix, but it is one major reform that is way overdue and how it can have a huge ripple effect on all of these issues. So of course, quick fixes aren't going to do anything. And of course, these issues just can't be ignored. So these quick fixes are being ignored. It's like slapping a Band-Aid on deep, infected, comorbid wounds. (laughs) And that's a better way to describe what we're seeing right now. So we need to dig deeper and look at the issues that are causing these issues to be at the forefront and servicing or resurfacing. Um. We have to understand, too, that that these issues that we're seeing right now, they've never went away, you know, such as racism. They've just resurfaced. Um, Mental health is at an all-time high, especially with this pandemic. And, you know, we have this pandemic, but not to mention the past four years or so have revealed many wounds that our country has. Believe it or not, not hating on Trump here, but 
This is, you have to understand that this is an all sides podcast where I do demonstrate fairness and faults regardless of party, affiliation, so on and so forth, because it is important for me to be as objective and analytical and fair as possible in this podcast. But here's what I have to say. Trump saw our weaknesses and he exposed them. And I knew that from the get-go. I had a feeling that this was going to happen. It was like he was the catalyst to the collapse. And I'm putting that in air quotes right now, a collapse that we need. And this collapse is slow, but powerful. So it's not obviously an instantaneous collapse of our society, but it is slow moving and it is festering and burning before us in so many facets. We are so divided right now in our country and we, we all agree that we're divided. That's the funny thing is that we all agree that we're divided, but many feel that they are not contributing to this divide. This is where we're going wrong. And this is what I'm calling upon you to do some self-reflection and understanding that we're all needing to take responsibility in the wounds that we're, that our country has. We need to take responsibility, self-reflect and correct. So going back to that question of how can we mend from all these wounds? How can we fix these problems? We need to step up. Yes, you. Yes, me. Everybody needs to step up and acknowledge the faults within ourselves and start to make changes. The changes that we're seeking are going to start from within somehow, some way, even if it's subtle. Uh, there is something that we can all do to change and to improve within ourselves to take that step forward and to be able to take that step forward together. You have to understand that others are watching us. The rest of the world is watching us. And we also have to remember that especially children are watching us. Whether you think so or not, they are watching us, even if they're not our children. And of course, you've heard this before, that children are sponges, and it is very true. So the reason why I want to concentrate on education is because education is the foundation of our society. We are known to be one of the best countries for education opportunity. However, our education is dwindling and it has been suffering for quite some time. And um, the fixes that are out there have either been quick fixes or again, there are issues where our public school system is just getting swept under the rug. And we've already seen you know, programs being taken away and funding uh, not there for schools, schools closing left and right, um, educators not being paid enough and supported enough. So there's a lot to fix here. And there's a lot of emphasis that we need to be putting into this structure for our children and our children's children and generations to come so that we can actually see our society thrive. Um, we are a uh, an infant society. We really are in, in, the, in America. And so we still have a lot of growing to do. And obviously we're going through some major growing pains right now. So when it comes to education, I'm talking about from parenting to public school reform, it takes, it takes a tribe. It takes a tribe um, to educate our children. 
So we can't just leave it up to one or two teachers or we can't leave it up just to the school system. Um, we have to understand that we're all contributing to our children's education and the generations that are coming in. Uh, we all contribute to this. Um, their eyes and ears are wide open. <laughs> so life education, social education, academic education need equal roles. And parents, teachers, and all adults need to be held accountable for this education for them. So our children's education obviously needs to be priority. It needs to be at the forefront. But we have issues with adults now. Uh, a major one is mental health. There's a lot of mental health um, challenges that are arising in our adults, and that is having a ripple effect on children, especially if they're the parents of the children. Um, so of course we do need to have another reform, which I do want to address in another episode, and that's mental health care. We needed that like yesterday. We need that so badly, and especially with the pandemic, of course, it's it's worsened. Mental health care system is not there. It's not there. And even our healthcare system in general is obviously not doing the best that it could be. And we need to be doing better for our people. So mental health care, we need to have it now. We need better accessibility and affordability for it. We need to take that that ugly stigma away of, of having mental health uh, struggles and um, being able to provide that for people who need it now of all ages. But we do need to start from the ground up when it comes to mental health care. And that means um, educating our students, our, our children on the fact that, you know, there are times that we're not okay and that should be okay, but that when we're not feeling okay, we should feel comfortable enough to go to somebody that we trust and ask for help um, to be heard and so on and so forth. So there's so much, like I said, there are layers to this. So I easily could keep talking about the mental health care aspect, which like I said, I'll devote another episode to that, but this is going to be about education. So, um, again, it's going to take time to fix these problems and there are going to be many layers that we have to look at. So we can't start one place like education, but education is a great place to start. Uh, there are so many layers. So again, even with mental health, there is no one fix. There's no one fix for our division. There's no one fix for discrimination, homelessness, and stopping the spread of misinformation and disinformation. So we have to take a step back and look at the big picture. And what I see how it fits in with all of these issues, though, is that education is directly linked to all of the issues that we are facing. But it's going to take work and it's going to take all of our work. Quick fixes, again, are it's just as bad as ignoring, but in different ways. And we have to think the chicken or the egg concept with these fixes. Where do we start? What comes first? Well, let's take a look at the broad umbrella issues, education, healthcare, and mental health care. Okay. We can start there. Then we can also understand is we as citizens do have a voice. We as citizens do 
have actions that we can take, positive actions, uh, transformative actions that have a ripple effect going upward. So we under we have to understand that we have influence on our government. It's not that our government has influence. Well, I should say it feels like our government has influence on us now, but that's because we're allowing them to. But we can take action to reverse that. So it feels like in a sense, we are in charge because we have people in those seats who are representing us, who are working for us, who are listening to us. And it doesn't feel like that's happening. So again, we need to be actually putting ourselves into action and not expecting other people to change or to bring that change. We're all in this pool together. Okay, so again, we're all in this pool together of bringing better education into our system. Even if you are not a parent, even if you don't plan to be a parent, you are still responsible for the education of all the children in this planet, of all the children, especially in our country, because this is your community, this is your society. And so, if you want to thrive yourself, the society has to thrive. And guess what? Education is a huge part of that, right? So academic K through 12 education system, we pretty much do see that it's broken and it has a lot of inequalities, especially with socioeconomic status and with regions in our country. So we have seen in in areas with lower socioeconomic status, people who make less money, people who are poor or under the poverty level, people of color are going to be more impacted um, by the, the inequalities of the education system that we have. And this is this is something that we need to be looking at and examining and seeing how it can be changed. We need better funding for education and, of course, those programs uh, that help our children grow. And, of course, teacher pay. You know, <laughs> that's always been a huge deal. Our teachers deserve to be paid better. Absolutely. And then, of course, the underlying infrastructure to um to the education system. We need to look at that. So in doing some research in my link tree, that's available for you to look at. I have all kinds of sourced links for you, but in reading, reading over some case studies and some, uh, informational pieces, books, articles, when it came to us education, I was running into some interesting things. So I wanted to share with you one thing that I was reading. I found it on Google Books. Um, So it's a book called U.S. Education Reform and National Security by Joel Klein and Condoleezza Rice. You might um, find those names familiar. This is through the uh, Council of Foreign Relations. So it's very interesting because you hear a lot of like, okay, well, we need to better our uh, national security. How do we do that? Well, education has a lot to do with it, but it's not just focused on national security. Um, there are, there's a lot more to, uh, this book, but I just wanted to read a few things to you that I found very, very, uh, interesting. And so, um, so what they're, uh, talking about is 
understanding that there are goals that we have to tackle when it comes to our public schools and talking about the citizenry of the U.S. So let me just read some excerpts from this book uh, for you. And again, this is in my link tree. And it says, one of the earliest goals of the first public schools was to create an active and engaged citizenry. Too many U.S. public schools have stopped teaching civics and citizenship, leaving students without knowledge of their own national history, traditions, and values. Schools have also largely failed to help students become aware of other cultures or the world. This leaves students unprepared to exercise basic rights or fulfill core responsibilities. And they go on to say, in a broader sense, the growing gap between the educated and the undereducated is creating a widening chasm that divides Americans and has the potential to tear at the fabric of society. There's, there's a lot of goodness in this book, but um, I have just a little more to share. Um, it also goes on to say, independent task force report on U.S. immigration policy noted, one of the central reasons the United States achieved and has been able to retain its position of global leadership is that it is constantly replenishing its pool of talent, not just with the ablest and hardest working from inside its borders, but with the best from around the world. The United States is an exceptional nation in many ways. As a people, we are not held together by blood, nationality, ethnicity, or religion. The true American identity is born of the idea that it does not matter where you came from. It only matters where you are going. And thus, solutions to education must be unique and foster the American identity among citizens. The circumstance in which this American ideal is no longer attainable for a substantial part of the American population is unacceptable. Ah, I just love some of this. Uh, it goes on to say quite a few other things, um, some, some wonderful reads. So um, I definitely suggest looking into that book and delving into it a little bit more. But I do have some um, easier reads and whatnot that I'll be talking about as well um, that are in my link tree for you. But I wanted to read over one more for you. Um, pretty cut and dry. It's by the advocate.org. And uh, it's titled 18 Reasons the U.S. Education System is Failing. So I'm not going to read the whole spiel, but I'm just going to read all of the bullet points, uh, the 18 reasons. So one, parents are not involved enough. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Schools are closing left and right. Our schools are overcrowded. Technology comes with its downsides. Mm -hmm. There is a lack of diversity in gifted education. Mm -hmm. School spending is stagnant, even in our improving economy. We are still using the teacher training methods of yesterday. So there's some reform for you. 
there's a lack of teacher education innovation, some students are lost to the school to prison pipeline. And I've done some research on this and it's very true. There is a nationwide college gender gap and surprisingly, we are not focused on it. Uh, we still do not know how to handle high school dropouts. We have not achieved education equity. Technology brings a whole new dimension to cheating. We still struggle with making teacher tenure benefit both students and teachers. Mm -hmm. I've done some research on that. More of our schools need to consider year-round schooling. We are still wrestling the achievement gap. We need to consider how school security measures affect students. Yep. And we need to make assistive technology more available for students with disabilities. So this is a good read to kind of get your brain working in that direction. But there's just a few facets that I'm going to concentrate on today. However, if you want to look through the rest of my links, I have something, oh, I have case studies too, if you really want to get really deep into stuff. Uh, the effect of education on crime, evidence from prison inmates, arrests, and self-reports, and this is something that I have specifically done research on as well. Uh, we have the binality of racism in education. Uh Oh, uh, seven ways to teach critical thinking in elementary education. And this doesn't have to be just for teachers. This can be for adults. This can be for parents and how to teach your kids about critical thinking, because that is a huge component that they're not being taught enough critical thinking. So parents, I welcome you to check that one out. Um, you can also look up other statistics, data, and surveys. Um, there's surveys by the National Center for Education Statistics uh, to see all kinds of information regarding education. And then, of course, through the U.S. Department of Education, there's a lot of uh, data and statistics that you can look up even in your region if you were curious. So that is all for you in my link tree. Um, but I do want to mention too, that there's, um, another facet too of, you know, that, that, that piece of socioeconomic and, and, uh, financial inequality when it comes to our school system, there's a documentary on Netflix called the lottery. And that has to do with these children. Um, the parents that are trying to get these children into, um, renowned charter schools. And it's pretty heartbreaking and intense and hearing the stories of some of these people. Some um, are, you know, U.S. citizens, some are undocumented, um, but you have to understand from their perspective why they're in the place that they're at and how they want to be bettering themselves and why they're, you know, um, the parents are trying to do this for their children. So it is, it's a good watch. So it's called The Lottery on Netflix. So as I, you might have heard me mention um, off that list and other things, um, especially from that book insert, uh, excerpt, excuse me, uh, individual development needs to be emphasized for our children. Kids aren't, they shouldn't be just processed like numbers. They need to be guided and encouraged 
and given opportunities to shine their own light and grow into their own skin. While school needs to have academics and prepare them for possibly their future career, um, going to college, uh, there's some there's some lacking. And I think you might've heard uh, f- from that expert uh, excerpt and in even reading deeper into some of these materials is that even our, our schools, our high schools aren't even preparing our students anymore to go out into the workforce. Um, it's pretty much just setting them up for a four-year college. And we shouldn't have to, you know, feel like that's our only option is going to a four-year college right after high school. We should choose and, of course, allow our children to choose the direction of their career. And and there should be ample opportunity for students to be able to exit high school, graduate high school, and go on to certain careers. I think we've lost a lot of trade training and trade focus. So that's a big piece as well. But there's there's definitely some, some faults uh, when we see even the academic focus in our schools. But we can also be focusing on life skills and uh, life experiences and things like that, our own health and mental health and whatnot. So I'm going to be talking about that. Um, I mean, our land, our country is a land of opportunity. It's meant to be a land of opportunity, but you begin to wonder for who. (laughs) And, you know, we understand that originally it was set up by certain people um, who had privileges. And so they weren't really seeing the light uh, for everybody um, in the situation that we are in now. So it has changed a lot since our founders created our constitution and whatnot, but we are meant to be the land of opportunity. So we do need to bring in more applicable instruction for children to develop individually and not have it so standardized. And that is what is making it very, very difficult for all children to stay focused, for children to learn, for children to want to stay in school, um, because they're going to have different personalities. They're going to cognitively function differently, even if they do not have a mental health disability. So um, we, we can't treat it as if it's, it, it's, you know, every kid is going to, um, you know, go at the same pace or receive the information the same. So we have to find a way to, to highlight each of these children in their own, you know, in, in their own, let them manifest in their own way. That's huge. That's a huge component. And it's hard, especially right now. We understand that we're seeing ridiculous class sizes. So again, there needs to be more funding for our schools. This needs to be a priority so that, you know, we're not having such huge class sizes and having these teachers overwhelmed and so on and so forth. So um, 
we can learn how to teach them basic morals and ethics from an early age inside and outside of school. Right now I'm talking about in the school, but we are going to talk about like the, the parental role and the adult role uh, in a little bit. But um, some things such as health education and nutrition, sex ed, mental health ed, this needs to be a part of schooling because you know, we know that even in the school itself, it may be uncomfortable at first to address some of these things, but eventually it will become the norm and children will make more informed choices than irrational, irrational and uneducated choices if they have that information delivered to them in an academic manner. And I'll talk about that again in a few minutes when it comes to parents, because for instance, in Washington state, we finally, after, I think it was about nine cycles of the sex education bill finally was passed in Washington state this last year. And the reason why it got so much pushback is because parents were afraid or parents did not like the curriculum and the, um, the non-age appropriate information that was going to be taught to these children. However, what was, here's the issue here is that when the sex education bill was presented and parents found out about it, they weren't given any context, not enough to go, oh, I see what they're saying here. I see what they're being taught. It's coming through kind of that telephone system um, where they're not getting a clear message of what this sex education bill, um, what the what the curriculum is actually going to be providing them from kindergarten to 12th grade. Each grade is going to be sequentially broken down into age-appropriate material that is going to be discussed, not just about education, but nutrition and health education, mental health, so on and so forth. So it's not just about sex education. It's about all of that. And that needs to be brought into our schools desperately because we have to understand and you have to be honest with yourself as a parent. Are you going to teach them all of that? Do you have the knowledge and capacity and time and patience and comfortability to teach your kids that? No, no. Not all parents are academically trained or comfortable to teach all of that information. So we do need to leave it up to those people who are professionally trained to be able to deliver that information regardless of sex, regardless of um, this, the situation of boys and girls and whatnot, again, there's going to be hiccups. There's going to be discomfort at first. Um, and of course with the sex ed bill, even though it's passed and it's going to be integrated in the schools, parents do have the option of opting out. That's up to them. That's their choice. That's their children that are not going to be receiving this information which honestly, again, it may seem like it's harmless, but you have to think of it this way. Kids are going to be curious. So to me, I would be more supportive of having my children understand this information from professionals at an early age so that they won't have questions or confusion or be uninformed of 
inappropriate touching, of rape, of sexual misconduct, of having sex at an early age and getting pregnant and having abortions, so on and so forth. So that this is kind of like where that whole abortion topic comes in is that this is a huge fundamental piece to help decrease the likelihood of abortions is by educating our students at an early age and bringing in that fact that we need to lessen the gap of that socioeconomic inequality because we do see that in reports that uh, those younger uh, women who are getting abortions, the ones that are getting abortions at early ages, have not had the sexual education presented to them. Um, and so if we were to bring in that element, it's going to be uncomfortable, but at the same time, it's going to be informed. It's going to be delivered professionally and academically, and it takes a lot of weight off of the parents. Now, I'm not saying that the parents shouldn't have these conversations with kids, but we also have to remember that parents hold a huge responsibility, and they have to know that you can't just talk the talk and not walk the walk either as parents. So parents have to be a part of this role by taking responsibility and leading by example when it comes to health and nutrition, sex education, mental health, so on and so forth. So it is better to bring in those who are academically trained to teach them all of these fundamentals. That is a huge piece that we need in our education system. So again, I understand that it would be uncomfortable. I know, I know that without, with the lack of information that parents have right now, there's lots of skepticism. There's a lot of discomfort. There's a lot of pushback. But what we're missing is the desire to get answers instead of what we're seeing right now is just that pushback or that assumption that it is age inappropriate or um, that it's not going to be safe and that it's going to cause more problems. Um, this isn't necessarily true. There are already programs within the U.S. that have been implemented on this. And there are, that's something that I can even put in my link tree of, of uh, this kind of education bill, uh, sex ed and nutrition and mental health and whatnot that have been integrated into some schools and how beneficial it has actually turned out to be. So even though you can opt out, again, it is something you have to understand can make all the difference in the world for your children's choices um, when they're young and when they get older. So very important to remember. History. History is another element as well. History needs to be adjusted to encompass more diversity of people and events from all sides being told and not just from the white elite perspective. We need to focus on such things as the movements on positive changes and outcomes and breakthroughs and transformations from past suppression so that children can grow up without suppression existing on their minds. So if we start to educate in the fact that, hey, guess what? There was slavery, but we've they've overcome that now. And guess what? Look at us now. We're not segregated. We are living happily together. If we taught our kids that, then guess what? Those kids are going to step in our place later on in life, and we will have more equality 
and less discrimination and hate if we taught them that that stuff doesn't exist anymore. We need to make sure that we are trying to get that out of our heads. And I'm, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist anymore. It does exist, but that's because we've allowed it to exist. If we start teaching our children now that, that we have seen changes, we have seen breakthroughs, we have seen people overcome those those strifes from the past, they may see everybody else as equal. And that can be very beneficial. So I know that's, that's kind of a fine line. But I know that there's a different approach that we can take with that for sure. Now, um, again, I'm sure there's a lot more I could talk about the education, but I, I know that there are people who have a lot more expertise than me that are working on that. But we all do have part in this, and we all we all contribute to the education of our children, even if they are not our children. Um, so on to parenting. Now, this isn't a parenting 101. I am a parent of a full-grown boy. <laughs> but this is basically from experiences, from observations, and from studies of statistics and correlations between issues and how parents, how the parenting contributes to how our children are doing in our schools. Communication is a huge piece. Communication is way down amongst families, amongst spouses, and our divorce rates have climbed. And when it comes to divorces, majority of the time, children feel it's their fault for their parents getting divorced, you know, and they also do see unhealthy relationships or marriages where there's fighting or there's not open communication amongst the mom and dad or they're born into single parent uh, situations and those single parents are overwhelmed or they have mental health issues themselves. Um, those parents have lack of support and resources, which can lead to mental health issues for the kids, acting out, rebellion, not doing good in school, so on and so forth. So it's hard. There are so many facets that feed into our children's behavior and our their success and their future. So take example of me growing up. Little skinny white girl in the suburbs and not going to the best of schools. Um, technically, the, the white kids were the minority at my high school. So we did see a lot of uh, people of color at our school. We did not have a good uh, graduate wait, uh, graduation rate. Um, I, um, even my best friend at the time did not graduate high school with me. And that was really sad. Um, I barely scraped by, to be honest with you. Um, and that's because um, part of it was because I just didn't want to be there. I was so unmotivated. Uh, and I just wasn't understanding math. I didn't have a good math teacher. And I barely passed after the second time of taking it, taking algebra. Um, I was attending Running Start, which is a wonderful program. Running Start, if you can encourage your kids to get involved in Running Start in their junior and senior years of high school, oh my goodness, that really expedites things for them. But it also exposes them to a new 
way of learning and a new life. Um, so I really encourage uh, parents to educate their children on that opportunity because it is wonderful earning um, earning high school credits and college credits at the same time is a really, really cool opportunity. And I'm very fortunate that I had that opportunity. I think that blew my world way open and really expanded um, my passions and my drive for the things that I wanted to do in life. Um, so it was a wonderful experience. Um, but I wasn't the best. I, I, definitely say it academically. I was not focused. I was not interested, but now I look back going, I really wish I, I enjoyed history more. I really wish that I would have put more effort into certain areas and stuff like that. So I do look back wishing that I could have put more into it, but I also have to understand that the school that I was going to, the edu education that I was provided wasn't the best itself. Um, then there's my son. My son is 21. He now lives um, with roommates up in Seattle, going to UW. And he is the first generation of my side of the family to go to college. And that makes me so proud. So proud. Um, he's been through a lot, though. He's been through a lot. He's been through a divorce. He's been through... Um, another like bad relationship that his mother put him through. Um, and so he's been through a lot. And uh, as far as his, you know, as far as his um, gender identification, as far as who he wants to be and who, you know, what he wants to do uh, with his life, um, mental health struggles, he still has all of that. But at the same time, he's accomplishing things and he's doing this on his own. And I'm very proud of him. I'm very proud of him. So while it's been rough, he's at this place now that I couldn't be more proud. And I'm very happy about that. But I've always encouraged my son to be who he wants to be, to be comfortable in his skin, to go for his dreams and ambitions and to never get up, give up and to never allow anybody to get in his way or tell him otherwise. And that's something that I've instilled in him from a very early age. And so I'm really thankful to see him um, doing so well and going in that direction. So it makes me very proud. <laughs> so sorry, sappy mom moment. So here's, here's something when it comes to parenting that even I know that I've done when my son was young and I really tried not to, but sometimes it just came out because it was just so natural. And that is we have to be careful in how we speak to our children and we want to make sure that we're not discouraging our children from asking questions. We don't want to ignore them. And we don't want to say things like, because I told you so, or because I said so. They need to learn. They need to understand. They need to develop their brains and process. They want to do all of these things. And so that's why they're asking questions. That's why they're incessant about asking why. So make sure that you take every opportunity, whether it's your kid or not your kid, that if they're asking you a question, 
If they're asking you why, or they're just asking you a question, don't get offended. Take a moment to understand the fact that they are just curious and trying to understand things and figure things out and take a moment to explain it to them. And if you can't, if you do not have the answer, it's okay. Say, I'm not sure, but tell you what, this is a great educational opportunity for the both of us. So why don't we go look it up together? Encourage that curiosity, encourage that research. Because like I said, again, they're sponges and they're going to latch on to everything that you do and say. So remember that if you silence their curiosity or in their inquisitiveness now, they can shy away from asking questions later on in life. They could turn out to be skeptical. They could have lack of communication. They could just run rampant with their curiosity and lack of knowledge to where they're making irrational, uninformed decisions. They are going to rebel. They could have mental health issues. They could have confidence and esteem issues, so on and so forth. So what we do as parents and just what we do as adults when kids are around, they're going to notice what we do. So we need to be that example for them. We need to take the time that these, these guys are our future. They are going to transform and eventually take over <laughs> our society. And so how, you know, how do we imagine the society to be for them? How do we imagine them being in the society? We need to take charge. We need to be responsible. We need to be impeccable with our words and actions, and especially when kids are around. Something else that has come up when in regards to in regard to children and, e and even young adults is the big word coddling. Um, there's been a lot of coddling uh, going on. Coddling basically means. Um, Let's go ahead and give in to them and give them what they want. It's almost like giving them a pacifier. And there's different types of coddling, but there's the coddling of not having peanuts in school cafeterias to, um, um, like, for instance, there was this book that I have read and I want to reread it, or I should say listen to it because it was an audio version called The Coddling of the American Mind. And so it talks about everything from young all the way up to college kids. The college kids are also being coddled too to the point of if they're not happy with or they're offended by some sort of a speaker that's going to be coming in and speaking that day, the school will go, okay, we'll go ahead and cancel that or you don't have to attend. Um, so there's a lot of coddling going on and I'm not going to go into depth too much about that, but it is definitely something that you need to pay attention to because there are different forms of coddling. And I'm going to kind of talk about that with the, the, the incoming generations that we are seeing right now. So we have the millennials born between 1980 and 2000. They're coddled, but they're their branch of coddling comes from innovation and they're very progressive. They're very passionate. They're very determined. 
They're very motivated and they can be extreme at times. They are the go-getters. They are getting things done and they are actually taking the reins in a lot of our social issues, political issues. Oh my gosh, we've seen this uh, climate change, all of this. We have seen this happen before our very eyes that we're seeing people being motivated that are just younger and younger and they're they're just making things happen and it's brilliant and it's amazing. So they have a coddling in that sense of, listen to me, we need to take care of this. This is an issue. And that's okay as long as it doesn't go too extreme one way or the other. Here's something to think about. Imagine 20 to 30 years from now when millennials will fully be in charge. Think about that for a minute. So now we have we have the boomers and and we have the older generation that are still, you know, in some of the uh, authoritative seats and and whatnot, uh, CEO roles and whatnot. But can you just imagine what's going to happen here when millennials are taking charge? And you're probably sitting here going, yeah, I'm a millennial. So you know what I'm talking about. Um, I just find that fascinating. I'm like, oh my gosh, I really think that this is going to really change our society big time. Um, they're very influential people. So it'd be really interesting to see what it's going to be like 20 to 30 years from now. I'm Gen X. I'm the lost generation. Nobody cares about Gen X. So, (laughs) um, uh, and then we have Gen Z or the I Gen as in the, in the, uh, coddling of the American mind, uh, puts it. Um, it, it, it's a bit unhealthy of a coddling that they have. Um, they're not as motivated to do things for themselves, uh, to go out and just conquer (laughs) or even get a job or, or just figuring things out for themselves. They're really looking for handouts or holding hands and whatnot. And I'm not saying this in any derogatory matter. I'm just saying as an overall observation, this is what we're seeing. This isn't true for all Gen Z. This isn't true for that, uh, as, as, uh, a blanket assumption, not at all whatsoever, but you do notice this in a lot of the younger generation. And, you know, I definitely have to say that between, Millennials and and Gen Z, millennials are using technology to their advantage, whereas Gen Z is being overcome by technology and allowing technology to to take them over to where they don't know how to function without it, if that makes sense. Um, and again, it's not um, it's not like a blanket assumption that I'm making here or a stereotype, but you will notice that in general aspects. Then, of course, what's going to happen after that, after Gen Z? Like, what what generation is that going to be? And, and what do we want for them? Millennials and Gen Z are going to be stepping up to be these examples and to guide those incoming generations. So if you're a millennial, even if you're a Gen Z listening, hey, I love you guys. You guys are amazing. And we're going to, um, you know, millennials and Gen Z are going to be helping this incoming generation, um, you know, eventually take over someday as well. So we have to be the examples. We need to be taking responsibility now because they are watching us now. Very important. So again, parents and surrounding adults 
need to be and are as much teachers as teachers are when it comes to different aspects. And that's important to remember that we all have roles in teaching our kids. We can't expect teachers to teach everything, especially when it comes to life. So that is my little convo for the day. And um, I definitely want to be addressing some other things down the road here. I want to be talking about mental health and I'll be talking about that very soon as well as uh, I do want to talk about conspiracy theories. And I know I mentioned that before in the media literacy because there's a lot of that going on. And uh, to be honest with you, I latched on to conspiracy theories for a while. And so I have that background and experience. Um, and then on top of that, I've done, you know, media literacy and research on my own, as well as being in school. And so really understanding both sides of the spectrum when it comes to conspiracy theories, um, I have a lot to bring to the table and I hope to even get uh, somebody in to have a nice conversation with me. And I am really looking forward to future episodes because I am definitely seeking like-minded people who want to, um, who want to better themselves and contribute uh, positivity and change and equality to, um, you know, humanity as a whole, but our society and everything. Um, but I do also want to be able to have some hard conversations with people who we may not see eye to eye because it's very important for us to be able to have difficult conversations. And that's something to remember too, is that if you're a parent or even if you're a kid listening right now, um, understand that I think it's important to have difficult conversations with your family. And um, there was a TED Talks recently, I'll wrap this up by saying this one, there was this TED Talks that I recently listened to of this woman who said that as a kid growing up, her and her two brothers and her mom and dad would sit down at the dinner table table at least five days a week and they would make it family politics time. And what that means is anything goes, anything that they wanted to talk about, anything they wanted to ask, anything that they wanted to get up off their chest. Um, this is where they shared their thoughts, feelings, opinions, and they were not allowed to get offended. Uh, they understood that it's important that critical thinking needed to be developed amongst uh, the children. And this allowed them to expand that critical thinking by um, being able to establish these uh, these. Uh, opportunities for them to just be able to communicate. And like I said, we've, we've lost touch. We've lost touch with that big time. And so it really is going to start at the dinner, dinner table or, you know, with the family, encourage family time, encourage communication as uncomfortable as it may be. We have to understand, especially from our kids that they're uh, still developing innocent minds <clears throat> and they need to grow and expand and develop that critical thinking because we want them to be able to apply that critical thinking when they are, are adults and make um, more informed choices and um, even help them with things like making better choices for their bodies, for their minds, with their relationships, in politics, in society, uh, with the environment, so on and so forth. So 
uh, that can be very beneficial. So that is my little bit on education. Um, thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. And I'm always looking for feedback, any questions, um, any ideas that you want me to address as well. And if you uh, would like to take part in an episode, upcoming episode, let me know. Uh, my e- email is available at sageuppodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for tuning in. Talk to you soon.